So we get to the portion now of the study and our study of the book of Romans. We pass kind of the heavy doctrinal uh, uh, sections of the book of Romans. And we get now to these last few chapters in the book of Romans where Paul is exhorting the church more on a practical Christian living. Right? He, 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 he filled our minds and he gave us these deep truths about sanctification, about justification, about salvation, about righteousness, about, about, about our standing now uh, before the Lord because of what Christ did on our behalf. And now, pretty much these last chapters, he's exhorting the church, exhorting us as we read. Now, all right, what, is my, what should my life look like, look like now as a believer, as a Christian, right? What should my, my life look like practically and, and played out, right? And so when we get to chapter 14 now in the book of Romans and even a little bit of chapter 15, where Paul now is going to exhort the church now as far as Christian freedom or Christian liberties, right? And, and uh, if your Bible might have a little section that says the law of liberty, Right? And so all of us are all familiar with, with, with freedom. Right? I mean, we're Americans. We're the freest country in the whole world. I mean, we are, we're living in a country where, where men and women go out, do battle. They will do war. Right? They, they die to defend freedom. Right? We celebrate every single year our, our, the, the independence of this country, our freedoms. Right? But more than just uh, uh, nationalistic freedom, uh, Paul's going to exhort us now on this freedom that we have as believers. Right? Not, not freedom from sin because that's something that all believers have. But more... Freedom to exercise or to walk in or to practice certain things, right? Christian liberties. And we'll go through them as we, as we go through the verses. And so verse 1 in chapter 14, he says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, says, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And that's what Paul's going to talk about, and that's what this chapter is about. Uh, not disputing over doubtful things. Now that phrase, doubtful things, what Paul is, is referring to, right? And the Christian walk is what we would call uh, secondary issues or non-essentials as far as salvation, right? Things that, that apart from our salvation, apart from uh, the atonement of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the, on, on the cross that makes us righteous before the Father, he says, secondary issue, d- issues, doubtful things. And there are a lot of doubtful things in the church and there are a lot of doubtful things even in our walks as believers, right? Things as, uh, now that I'm a Christian, can I do this? Now that I'm a Christian, can I still partake in this? Right? One big one that just passed is Halloween. Right? We get this a lot and, and we, you'll get differing opinions when, when, when this time comes around where people start asking, all right, now that I'm a Christian, can I still celebrate Halloween? Right? And people will go on these heavy trips as to why someone shouldn't uh, celebrate Halloween now as a Christian or as why someone should celebrate Halloween as a Christian. Another big one. Politics, right? Now that I'm a Christian, what should my opinions be as far as politics? Who should I vote for? This, that, and the other, right? Uh, types of music that, that, that we listen to, just different activities that we partake in as believers. All these things are secondary issues as far as salvation, right? Meaning that, that whether you partake in these things or not, it has nothing to do with your salvation, Right? And, and, and how God sees you and, and, and as far as your, your righteousness in Christ. Man, if I celebrate Halloween, don't celebrate Halloween, go to a dance, don't go to a dance. Right? If I listen to certain music or, or don't listen to a, to a certain music, if I vote a certain way, it doesn't do anything to change my standing before the Lord. Right? And that's what Paul's going to talk about in this chapter. And so he's exhorting the church and he says, hey, receive one who is weak in the faith. He says, but not to dispute over doubtful things. And so Paul is referring to two types of believers here in this chapter. Uh, one that's considered a strong believer. one who, And the strong believer is the one who feels more freedom to partake in certain things now that he's a Christian. 
And Paul refers to the weaker believer as one who is uh, convicted by certain things in his Christian walk so he doesn't partake in them, right? And so he says, receive one. And keep in mind that he's writing to a church that was uh, predominantly Jewish, right? There, there were Jewish believers, Jewish men and women who, who have given their lives to the Lord. And so they were uh, more free in a sense to partake in certain things. And they were more uh, uh, restricted to not partake in, in other things. And so Paul says, hey, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. And he says this in verse 2, he says, For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak only eats vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Right? And so specifically in this, in this section, and, and I think it's amazing that Paul is, uh, is writing to the church there in the book of Romans, right? And and interesting that that one of the main things that they would dispute about, one of the main things that they would have concern about, one of the main things that was one of those doubtful things was just food, right? Nowadays, man, we have a list at least like this long of doubtful things or things that people get tripped up over in their faith, right? Man, am I a Christian? Hey, I, this one I get a lot. Do Christians dance or, or, or can Christians dance? If you're at a party, can Christians dance? Right? Man, I'll tell them some can. And some should stay far away from the dance floor. Because <laughs> their lack of rhythm is a sin. Just th- th- little things like that, right? <laughs> That's a joke. Right? But, but, but certain things like that. Hey, I'm a Christian. Can I listen to this type of music? Hey, and we all have our own certain convictions. And Paul's going to talk about that. Right? But he says, For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak only eats vegetables. Now, Paul's not talking about uh, uh, vegetarians here in, in, in this section, but really what he's referring to is that there in that first century, uh, there in Rome, uh, idolatry was huge, right? The, the Roman Empire is known for having these multiple deities, these multiple gods, and, and just like any other nation at their time, and just like uh, different pagan worship that, that, that would take on, uh, that would take place back then, what they would do is that they would sacrifice these animals, they, they would sacrifice these calves, these goats, these bulls, these rams, they would sacrifice these different animals to their false gods, right? And they knew that, that man, if an animal gets sacrificed to their, you know, quote-unquote God, it had to be, like, the best animal. And so what, what would they do with the leftover meat, man? They would take it to the meat market, and they would sell it uh, half off. Hey, man, this is what was left over from the sacrifice. People knew right away, man, all right, I'm getting a good deal on this choice cut of meat because I know that it came from, uh, it was leftover from this sacrifice, and so Paul is, is addressing the church and he's telling them, look, let not him who eats, that is, eat meat, eats this meat, despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat, judge him who eats, for God has received him. And so Paul is giving an exhortation and he's giving a, a sort of a, a light warning to, to both believers. The one that's considered weaker in his faith because of his convictions and the one that's considered stronger in his faith because, I guess, his freedom, right? His freedom to partake in certain things. And the, the warning to the one who, 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 to the stronger believer is, hey, he says, don't despise your weaker brother. Right? In our day, we don't have that problem with food, right? I mean, for the, as far as I know, there's no one sacrificing goats to animals and selling it at the meat market. But we, we have different things. Uh, things that, that kind of uh, pass through de- denominations and just in, in, in our Christian walks and our Christian faith. Right? Some churches do things one way. Some churches do things another way. For some churches to see me up here in shorts and a beanie would be like, man, dude, you're in sin. Like, how can you even go up there and, and teach the word from the pulpit like that? Right? 
for other people like me, I'll come up here like this, right? Uh, man, you go to, I've been in places in South America where when we went to church, you show up in, in shorts and sandals, and they're like, dude, like, you're being so disrespectful right now, you should go back home and change. I'm sorry, man. Right? Certain things like that that, that, that people uh, put a big emphasis on, right? And then that the stronger believer or the one that doesn't have that conviction about those things will tend to kind of maybe uh, make fun of those type of believers. I'm guilty of it. Oh, man, chip out on those guys right there wear suits or chip out on them. They do this, they do that, or they approach church this way or they approach church that way. And so Paul's warning to the stronger believers like, hey, don't despise your weaker brother. Don't despise that person or, 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 or that believer just because he has convictions that you don't. And then likewise, to the weaker believer, he says, don't judge him who eats. Right? So for the, the exhortation and the, and the instruction to the weaker believers, look man, if, if you have a certain conviction about these things and, and, and your brother is, is, does and he's partaking these things, he says, don't judge him. Right? Just because he has a liberty or he has a freedom to partake in the certain things, says, don't judge him. Right, so, and so Paul's giving a warning to both of them, and he pretty much equalizes the playing field. And he says, "What?" He says, "For God has received them." Right. And when we were in South America, I was on there for four months in 2019, and uh, we would go out there and do outreaches, go share the gospel, and we went to this little town, and all the young people would trip out on me because of my tattoos and piercings and stuff, and over there, that's like taboo. Right, you don't see that unless you're like in the big city. Uh, uh, Colombia specifically. But you don't see that unless you're like in the big city of Bogota or all that. Right? And so they would trip out. We're in these little like, man, towns like in the middle of nowhere. Right? It's open, bro. Oh, okay, cool. Awesome. And, 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 and so I remember that we would go to these little towns. We would preach the gospel. And the, especially the young people. And they would all trip out and be like, man, well, you're a Christian. Or you're, you're preaching to us Jesus. And, and you look this way. And I remember speaking to one guy specifically who, you know, who looked like a little bit like a, like a, like a rebel. He had... He had like dyed his hair back and stuff and uh, he spiked it up and he had a piercing and, and uh, I remember talking to him and he was saying, man, he says, he says, uh, he says it's so cool how you could just love Jesus and, and, and look the way you do. And I was inviting him to church and I, I remember what he told me and it stuck with me forever. He says, well, I asked him, I was like, you go to church? He says, no, I used to, but it kicked me out. I'm like, why? He says, because, because of what I did, because of what I did to, my, to myself. He says, they don't accept that here. I just thought, man, that's so crazy. Right? That's so crazy. And so I remember telling him, hey, man, don't trip. If they, if they don't want you, we'll take you. We'll take you. That's what I told him. I'm like, we'll take you. Right? And we did Bible studies with them every single day while we were there. And so it's interesting how Paul says, he says, look, he says, for God has received him. And in the church, there's a lot of people who will reject or whom certain churches will reject. But nonetheless, hey, God has received him. Right? And so Paul's exhortation to the stronger Believer and to the weaker believers, like man, don't despise and don't judge, right? Because God has received them, right? So if God has received them, then who am I to despise them? If God has received them, then who am I to judge them because of his Christian freedom or his Christian liberties? And he says in verse four, he says, "For are you?" He says, "Who are you to judge another's servant?" He says, "To his own master he stands or he falls." He says, "Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand." Right. And so for the believer who's, who's strong in, in certain aspects of his life, right, in his Christian walk, he says, look, if, if, if he's strong in this area, he says, look, man, that, that's not, Paul's saying that's none of your business. Right? He says, man, that's between him and the Lord. That, right? He says, who are you to judge another one's servant? He says, to his own master he stands or he falls. 
Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. In verse 5, he says, One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. He says, Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He says, He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat. And gives God thanks. And so more than just food, now, now Paul is moving into the area of these special days, right? These special holidays. Again, keeping in mind that he's, that he's uh, addressing a church where, where, where they're predominantly Jewish, Jews, right? We all know that, that the Jews, they, 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 they have the Sabbath day rest, right? Which uh, starts on Friday evening and ends uh, Saturday evening. And so for the Jewish believers here in the Church of Rome, they even though they were believers, even though they were Christians, or even even though they didn't have to keep the, 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 the law of Moses and their, and their ceremonial rituals, a lot of them will still put this emphasis on keeping the Sabbath and like how we read in the first chapters, on circumcision, right? And Paul would say, look, he says, one person esteems one day above another. Speaking to the Jews, right? The Sabbath day. He says, another esteems every day alike. He says, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. I mean, man, if you worship God on Saturday, you worship God on Sunday, you worship God on Tuesday. He says, man, he says, uh, it's all the same to the Lord, right? It's all the same to the Lord. There will be churches who will go as far as to say, man, if you're worshiping God on Sunday, then you're in sin because Sunday is dedicated to the sun God and you're going out there worshiping God on a Sunday, the day that's, the, that's dedicated to, to the sun God and you should be worshiping God on Saturday because that's a, the real day to worship God, right? Not knowing that Saturday is named after the God Saturn. So kind of a self-defeating argument, right? But again, these little things that sometimes we, we, we trip over or we, we put an emphasis on that, man, that God doesn't care about. Right, and, and I think so often we put more standards on each other that God is not holding us accountable to. Right, we put more 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 trips on each other that that God is not putting on us. Right, that's us. That's our human nature. And so Paul says, "Hey man, if you esteem the Sabbath day, if you esteem Sunday, if you esteem Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever your day is to worship God, he says, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Meaning, man, if your mind is set that, you know, this is the day that we do church, then man, you do church on this day, and you worship God on this day, and you serve God on this day, and, and, and let, let yourself be fully convinced of that in your own heart unto the Lord, right? Regardless of what anybody else may say. And verse 6, again, he says, he who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. Man, if he's worshiping God on this day or that day, he's doing it to the Lord. And if he's not doing it on this day or that day, then he's not doing it to the Lord, right? He says, Bottom line, it's between him and God. And he says, he who eats, he eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and gives God thanks. Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself, and, none, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. And so Paul's saying, look, again, if whatever you do, just be fully convinced in your own heart. As you do it into God, right? Don't try to uh, uh, sway someone else's someone else's opinion, you know, onto your, onto your side, or don't or don't let let yourself be swayed into someone else's right opinions. Look, man, that's between you and God, right? Something that we that we do as Christians, and, and I've been guilty of it. It's like, oh man, uh, I, I like to preach a certain way or teach a certain way, and I think everyone else should do it, right? I think all the churches should should teach the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And, and you know what? The, the beautiful thing about the Lord is that He has a church for everybody, right? Verse by verse now may not be for everybody. Man, some people, you know, like the preachy-teachy, 
right on. Some people like all preaching, right on, man. Whatever uh, one's own taste is, whatever one's own, own, own likes is, man, God has a church for them, right? So instead of swaying everyone to do things a certain way or the way I like them to be done, Paul says, look, man, let them just do it unto the Lord, right? He says, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Right? And so he says, man, whatever we do in this life, whatever we do in the next life, is living. God, Jesus is God. He is Lord over both. Right? For he says, for this end Christ died and he rose and lived again, that he may be Lord of both the dead and the living. He says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, look, we're all going to give account to the Lord for our own convictions, not for our sins, because our sins were already paid for on the cross. That's not what Paul's talking about, right? When he says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it, it means that, that, that God's going to pretty much just, just uh, we're going to close tap with the Lord, right? And, and he's going to, Pretty much close tabs on how we lived according to our own convictions. But as far as uh, salvation, as far as our sin, no, again, that was faith on the cross. Right? But he says, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, quoting from Isaiah, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And in verse 12, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Right? And so Paul sums it up like this. He says, look, if these are your convictions, if these are not your convictions, he says, let's meet in the middle. He says, you live unto the Lord the way you know, your heart is convicting you, and you live unto, unto the Lord the way your heart is convicting you. But you know what? Let's not do it in such a way that it's going to cause a brother to stumble in their faith because of the way you're living. In the next few verses, he's going to go on to, to expound on, on that thought, and, and he's going to mention how, look, it... it it's, it's, a, it's selfish. It, it's a selfish motive when we choose to exercise our own Christian freedoms right, in such a way that it causes someone else to stumble. And he says this in verse 14. He says, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And so Paul speaking to him, he says, look, says, as far as me, I'm convinced. He says, I don't know about you. He says, but I'm convinced. Right? It's all about our own personal convictions. All right? I'm not going to try, try to, from the pulpit, put my convictions on you or try to lessen your convictions because I don't have those convictions. Paul says, look, this is, these are my convictions. He says, and I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. All right? Speaking about certain days, speaking about certain foods that he was eating. For Paul, keep in mind that Paul was, he called himself the Jew of Jews. The Pharisee of Pharisees, right? Of the tribe of Benjamin. He was zealous for the word of God, right? He was taught at a young age by the, by the, by the best uh, master, by, by the best teachers, by the best rabbis. And yet Paul's saying, look, I'm convinced that there's nothing unclean of itself. I mean, that even Paul, who was a Jew, right? He had convinced himself of his freedom in the Lord that night. He was free to eat whatever he wanted, even those things that, that, that Jews normally wouldn't eat, like pork or certain type of meats, right? Certain type of foods. And Paul said, Paul... In another letter, he would say, to the Jews, I became a Jew. To the Gentile, I became a Gentile. He says, I became all things to all men so that by some chance I could win all men to Christ. 
He says, man, when I was with the Jews, hey, man, I, I ate like the Jews, right? If that meant that, that, that I could just win into Christ. When I hung out with the Gentiles, he says, man, whatever they were eating, I'll eat it too, right? If it means I can have fellowship with them and just preach them Jesus, right? And so he goes on to say, there in verse 15, he says, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, he says, then you're no longer walking in love. He says, do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died for, right? Do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died die for. Again, he's speaking to this church whom the only uh, well, the primary issue that, that they had in the church was, was out of food, right? Of certain things that they ate or didn't eat. For us, man, we could put a whole list of things that, that cause our brothers to stumble. Right? Man, the big one is man, our political views. Another big one is, uh, again, certain holidays. Another big one is hey man, uh, church denominations or whatever it may be. But those are like the main, the main ones, right? And Paul says, look, if your brother is grieved because a substitute that word your food and put whatever it is that you, that it's secondary in your life, that you stand so strong for that has nothing to do with your salvation, that you know causes division in certain Christians' life. He says, if your brother is stumbled or grieved by this thing, you're not walking in love. He says, do not destroy with your food or do not destroy with your Christian liberties, with your Christian freedom, the one whom Christ died for. Right? And, and Paul paints this, this heavy, heavy picture if you think about it. He says, look, man, Jesus died on the cross for this person. They came to the Lord, right? Their convictions were, 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 were weak about certain things, right? So they were, they were, so they were easily tripped up about, about certain things. You go out there and you're flaunting your freedom and, and, and your conviction is just weighing heavy on them so much that it causes them to walk away from the faith. And he says, man, Jesus shed his blood for this person and you with your selfish uh, uh, freedoms, right, flaunting your freedoms in front of him, he says, man, you, you've, you've destroyed the one whom Christ died for. That's heavy when you think about it that way, right? You destroyed the one whom Christ died for. He says, therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, right? He's not, Paul's not saying don't do those things. He's saying... Just be considerate, right, of, of the believer that's next to you. Be, be considerate of the believer who's in your life. Be considerate of the believer who's watching your life and who's maybe stumbled by this thing. And it's, it's hindering him from growing, growing closer to the Lord. He says, be considerate of that thing, right? Why? Because Christ died for that person also, right? And he says, again, therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. He's saying, look, Paul's saying, it's a good thing. He says, you're exercising your Christian liberties, your Christian freedom. He says, it's a good thing. He says, but don't let that good thing be spoken of as evil because of the effect it had on this person's life. And so he says in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right? You could substitute that, 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 that word, uh, eating and drinking, that phrase. It says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Again, that's what they were dealing, dealing with in, in the first century. But... Man, the kingdom of God is not this or that. You fill in the blank. It's not this issue or that issue. Things that we deal with today, right? He says, man, the kingdom of God is not those things. So many times we as believers, we attach our own personal preferences or our personal beliefs or our personal you know, likes or dislikes to the kingdom of God and to our salvation. And they have nothing to do with salvation. Paul says, look, these things that we're doing here on earth, these things that we're exercising here on earth, he says, they have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, right? Not political views, it's not church denominations, it's not the way we dress, it's not all these different things. He says, but the kingdom of God is righteousness, it's peace, it's joy in the Holy Spirit. 
says, For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Notice that. For he who serves Christ is in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, verse 19, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. I love how Paul says that. He says, look man, we all have our own Christian liberties, our own Christian freedoms. Right? And we could take a hard stand for these things to the point where it makes someone else stumble. Right? But if you know that's going to make someone else stumble, Paul says, all right, then you know, then put that thing to the side. Don't pursue that anymore, but instead pursue things, the things which make for peace. Right? The things which make for peace. The things that, which make for the edifying of one another. Right? Let us pursue those things. And so many times, again, we attach our Christian walk with all these secondary issues. Right? All those doubtful things that Paul spoke about there in verse 1. Remember, we said in verse 1, he says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. Secondary issues. Non-essentials. Right? And sometimes we get so stuck on the non-essentials and we lose the essentials. Right? We lose Christ in the midst. And so he says, man, he says, don't pursue those things, the non-essentials. But instead pursue the things which make for peace and the things which, which, uh, which, which bring edification of the body. Right? Non-essentials in the Christian faith could be man, your view on the rapture of the church. Whether you're pre-tribulation, mid, post. Uh, I heard of a new one that's like, I think pre-wrath. I, I, which I guess to believe that that, uh, that the tribulation happens before the wrath of God comes, but a little bit over, uh, the, the, uh, just a little bit after the tribulation period starts. There's so many different views out there. But that has nothing to do with my salvation. right? You could believe in a pre-tribulation or rapture or a post or a mid, or you could believe that there's no rapture, you're still going to be saved. right? Because one is not saved by their beliefs in the rapture. right? One is saved by their faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross right? and His resurrection and, and, and the fact that you, that you believe it unto yourself. Right. Another secondary issue are, are non-essentials. Man, baptism. Whether you baptize forward or backward or sprinkle or whatever. I mean, we, we do full submersion. But those things don't save. Right? But so many people make such a, put such a heavy trip on people because, oh, you weren't baptized the right way. So, no, no, we do this. We do it this way. And this is the right way to do it. And if you're doing it uh, any other way, then you're wrong. Right? When, I, when we went to Detroit in 2017, that was the biggest thing. Right? We would go evangelize. And uh, I remember... There was no one evangelizing there in that area because it's so heavy, right? So it's so dark, it's just it's dangerous. And there was no churches evangelizing. And so we go out there with the whole crew and then we're evangelizing. It, the, the Lord is moving, you know, like the Spirit's stirring people up. It's awesome. Right? There's like a whole revival going on. And all of a sudden we see this group of, uh, of, of believers. <laughs> I'm careful not to say specifics. But this group of believers, they come up to us and we're thinking, awesome, man, look, the churches are getting stirred up. They're going to join us. And they come up and they start just jamming us up. Who sent you guys? Where are you from? Who gave you permission to do this? How do you baptize? They started just, what do you believe in this? What do you believe in that? Right? They started pretty much like getting all territorial. Like, nah, man, look, uh, you have to baptize this way. And look, brother, look, uh, if you want, come down to the church this day. And we'll baptize you the right way. We have a guy who was anointed by so-and-so. And, they're like, and we're just like, man, dude, we're just trying to preach Jesus. Right? And you're getting our way. Right? And that's pretty much what we told them, but in a nicer way. But man, again, these non-essentials that, that people trip over, that we trip over sometimes, that man, that, that God doesn't care about, right? And have nothing to do with our salvation. And so Paul says again, verse 19, says, Therefore, let us pursue, not those things, but he says, Let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. Right? And so, 
whenever you're caught in a dispute with another brother, another believer, another brother or sister in the Lord about a doubtful thing, right? Something that is a non-essential. And they're like, oh, you know what? Jesus wasn't God and, uh, you know, I can believe in Jesus and I don't believe he's God. And I believe that he's whatever. Then, all right, uh, go for it, man. <laughs> right? Lay out your argument. But keep in mind that Paul told Timothy, man, don't, don't, don't give way to idle babbling. Right? If they're open to receiving the truth and share the truth. But if it's a non-essential, if it's a, a doubtful thing, if it's a secondary issue, then always have this at the forefront of your heart and mind. Hey, seek those things which cause edification and unity. If we're arguing about something and both of us are stuck in our opinions and you know what, we're just growing an argument, we're just creating a bigger gap in between us. You know what, I'm going to just put those things aside and I'm going to seek, I'm going to pursue those things which uh, cause edification and peace between us. Instead of, you know, alright, I won the argument. Forget about that. And so Paul says, there in verse 20, he says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Right? Or for the sake of, again, whatever it is that, that, that we hold on to. He says, don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Right? And so many times, man, in the Christian church and in and, and, and the life of believers, man, the work of God is hindered. The work of God is destroyed because of his dispute, because of this uh, division over secondary issues, over non-essentials. Right? That's why I love what we did a couple weeks ago. Man, we got a bunch of churches together. I'm pretty sure all of us don't have the same doctrinal statement. I'm pretty sure all of us don't believe, you know, to the T exactly what, what, what we believe here. But you know what? We got together. We put those things aside. We say, man, let's do an outreach for Jesus. Right? And so Paul says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And know this, that division, it was one of the biggest tools of the enemy. Right? The enemy is the one that comes to divide. Christ came to unify the body, right? And the body of Christ is, is, is not to be divided. Right? The enemy is the one that comes into the divide. Jesus said of Satan that he is uh, a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. That's his name. He doesn't know anything else but to lie. He says that he's the father of lies. Right? He says that, 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 that he came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And now Paul says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food or for the sake of these, your own liberty. Know that, that whenever, right, in the body of Christ, a division comes in, it's never of God. No matter what the terms may be. He wronged me, she wronged me, uh, they did this, they did that, he said this, and hey, there's, a, there's a, a spiritual force at work behind that, behind what we could just see. Behind, you know, our own personal disagreement, there's something even stronger behind that, and that's the work of Satan in the church to divide. Right? If Satan can't take away salvation, if he can't, uh, if he can't do that, what he's going to do is he's going to divide you or he's going to discourage you. So Paul says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. He says, for all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Meaning, in this case, for the believer who is eating uh, something that is not you know, kosher or, or, or that's not clean and he does it in front of, a, of another believer who is offended by it, like the believer, I mean, he's not, he's not in sin because he's eating this. He's in sin because he's offending his brother, right, who, who, who's offended by this thing. So he says, man, it's, all things are pure, but it's evil for the man who eats with offense. He says, it is good neither to eat meat, nor to drink wine, nor to do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Right? That should be our, our, our dividing line, right? That should be our determining factor. And is what I'm doing, 
Is what I'm walking in, is what I'm practicing causing another believer to stumble, to be offended, or to be made weak in their faith? Right? You could ask, and because in the, in the Bible there's so many gray areas, right? There's certain things that we know are right, for sure, like, no, dude, you're wrong. Uh, see, if you're married and, and, and you're, you know, you're having sex outside of marriage, you're in adultery, but you're wrong. You gotta repent, right? If, if there, if, I mean, there's certain things, if you're stealing, if you're, you're just a habitual liar, if you're, there's certain things that are laid out for us, plain, plain, plain as day, black and white, boom, 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 right? This is sin, right? You have to do these things. But there are also a lot of gray areas, things that the Bible doesn't talk about. And we could speculate, again, secondary issues, doubtful things. Well, is this a sin? Is this a sin? Can I do this? Can I do that? Right? And, and this is a good rule of thumb for your own life. If there's something in your life that maybe you're practicing or you're walking or you're, you're, you're exercising, note this. If it causes someone to stumble, if it's causing someone to be offended, or is it, if it's making someone weaker in their faith because of that, then maybe you should take it to the Lord right, and reconsider that. And so he says now in verse 22, he says, Do you have faith? He says, Have it to yourself before God. He says, Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves right there's another uh, a, a, another text that, that says uh phrase it and it says the faith which you have verse 22 the faith which you have says have it to yourself before god right happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves meaning look man if this is what god has convicted you of or this is what god has uh, you know given you the freedom to do he says you do it before the lord right and and, and that's when it's okay Right? If you're doing something against your own conscience because someone has persuaded you to, or if you're not doing something out of your conscience because so because someone has persuaded you not to, he says, man, you're in sin. Right? He says, it all matters, you know, what you do unto the Lord. He says, happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Meaning that if, if you, right, look at the life of another believer, they have certain freedoms, they're able to, before the Lord, do certain things that maybe for you is kind of like, oh, you know, certain, and you're convicted about this thing. You wouldn't do it, but you engage in these things because they're doing it, and you're doing it feeling bad, knowing, oh, I don't know, it doesn't feel wrong, it doesn't feel right, but I'm just do it, right? And just, you're grieved about it, but you keep on doing it. Paul says, hey man, your own conscience is condemning you, right? He says, because you're not doing it from faith. He says, for whatever is not from faith, it's sin, right? In my life, personally, man, there's certain things that I won't do, not because I'm convicted of them. I mean, I consider myself pretty free in Christ, right, as far as convictions. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to just walk with the Lord with a... I'm convicted about hardcore things, right? But there's certain things that, 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 that maybe a normal or a, just a, an average Christian would do that I won't do for the sake of not causing someone to stumble. There's certain music I won't listen to. There's certain things, you know, that, 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 that I won't engage in. Not because I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm like too holy for that. No, but because certain believers, right, looking at this platform, looking at, 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 uh, at me as a pastor, they'll be like, man, if he's doing that, like, dude, I, I, it makes me feel uneasy. So for their sake, you know what, I won't do it. I won't do it. And so he goes on to say there in chapter 15, now verse 1, he says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, for his good, leading to edification. It says, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
says, for wherever things were written before, were written for our learning, for uh, that we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. It says, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you would that, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, look, what is a believer then who is maybe more free to do certain things, the, the, the one that's considered a strong believer? What am I to do then if there's maybe someone uh, within my sphere of influence that's, that's kind of watching my life, right? That's kind of, you know, getting close to me and, 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 is, and is stumbled by uh, certain freedoms in my, in my walk. Paul says, hey, we who are strong ought to bear with the scruples or with the burdens of the weak, right? And not please ourselves. Right? Not please ourselves. Again, if it's something that I could partake in and I'm free before the Lord, and my conscience is clear before the Lord, I mean, there's no conviction about it whatsoever. It's not sin, right? It, it's, it's Christian liberty, but it's not sin. And, but yet it's causing someone else to be like, oh, man, no, man, no. I don't know how that makes you feel. Right? I'm not saying we got to go around and try to please everyone because we can't. Right? But if someone is genuinely stumbled by your walk with the Lord because of the freedoms that you have, Paul says, look, man, bear with those who are weaker. Bear with those who are weaker. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Right? Paul would say there in Ephesians chapter 4 that the purpose of the church is for edification. Right? God has has instituted this, the church, not just Calvary Chapel, but I mean a church, any church. Right? The function and the purpose, the God-given function and purpose of a church is for the edification of the believers. Ephesians chapter 4. Right? It's not for the evangelism of the world. It's not so that we could do uh, good deeds. It's not so that we could feed the poor. It's not so that we could you know, uh, uh, do uh, uh, charitable things, even though all those things are good. The purpose of the church is for the edification of the believers. Of the saints, Paul calls in Ephesians chapter 4. Right? And so he says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Right? That is building one another up. So he's saying, Look, in the, in the body of Christ that we know as the church, and there are these certain divisions. He says, Put them aside. He says, Put your own uh, freedom aside so you could serve your brother, so that you could build up your brother or sister. Right, so you could build up this believer in the Lord. Right? That is the purpose of the church, the building up of one another. Right? And he says, for even Christ did not please himself. Right? Jesus gave us the best, the best, best example. Philippians will tell us that he being God, right, considering our robbery to, to, to make himself, to consider himself as God, but says that he cast aside his deity, he became man, and what did Jesus do? Man, he served us. Right? John chapter 13, one of the greatest chapters if you want to look at servanthood, as servant leadership, as Jesus. Right before he went to the cross, one of the biggest things that he did before he went to the cross, he got his disciples together, John chapter 13. We're told that they went to the house, Jesus took off his outer robe, uh, rolled up his sleeves, got a bucket of water, and said, all right, guys, come on. Started washing their feet one by one. Peter was like, no way, Jesus, you're not touching my feet. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no part in me. And, Jesus, and then Peter said, all right, then give me a whole bath, <laughs> Peter. And Jesus said, no, man. He said, the one who's washed doesn't need to be washed, you know, but just, just his feet. But what Jesus did is that he took the place of the lowest servant in the house. Then the first century, a typical Jewish home, right, they would have a hired servant, which is like the job that nobody wants. I was like, if you're 
lost your job, you're out in the gutter, you can't, like no one else will hire you, all right, man, I'll take the job of the lowest servant. No one wanted that job. And, and the job of the lowest servant in the house was pretty much to just be there ready with a rag, bucket of water, and when the, the owner of the house came in, his family, any guests, all right, you know, of course they're wearing sandals, this is Israel, first century, dirt everywhere. They would come in from their journey, and, and uh, what the lowest servant would do is that he would begin to wash their feet. It's humility, and Jesus did that, right? He took the place of the lowest servant, and he served his disciples. And he said, look, if me being your, your master and your Lord, did, and I did this, he says, then you ought to do that to one another. So Jesus set the example for us, right? And so we're told, Paul says, he says, Christ did not please himself. That's just one example. He says, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, right? And then he says, for whatever things were written, again, before were written for our learning, Right, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded to one another. I love how Paul says that. May the God of patience and comfort. God is a God of a lot of things. Right? He's God Almighty. But specifically when it comes to the area of laying our own pride aside to serve a brother, laying our own personal convictions aside to serve the weaker brother, he says, look man, may the God of patience why? Because they're going to take patience. They look made a God of comfort. Why? Because we're going to need to be comforted right, as we go through these things. Because may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be what? Like-minded toward one another. One of the prayers that, uh, that Jesus made there in John chapter 17, I'm going to read it for you. It's the only recorded prayer, intercessory prayer that we have of Jesus. We have a lot of prayers that, that, that Jesus has to the Father. Right? We're told that Jesus went to go pray to the Father. But the only intercessory prayer that we have of Jesus, right? and He's praying on behalf of not just His disciples, but all those who would come to believe in Him, meaning us too. He prays for one thing, and that's unity. He says this in John chapter 17, He says, Then Jesus spoke these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven, and He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself and the glory which I had with you before the world was. Verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now now they have known that all the things which you have given me are from you. So for I have given them to you, uh, given them your words which you have given me. And they have received them and you have no, and have known surely that I have came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. And now he prays for them specifically and he says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but I pray for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. And he says, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Notice that. Jesus could have paid a number of things for his disciples before he got crucified. But one of the things that he prays for, not just for them, but he says, not just for those who, who have believed, he says, but those who are going to believe. I mean, man, that's like a never-ending, that's an open-ended prayer. All those who are going to believe from that point on, meaning us too. And he says, 
I pray that they may be one, just as we are one. And you think about the unity of the Trinity, all right, who has, it, who has existed before time. The unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, my prayer is that they would be one, that they would be united, just as Father, you and I are united. Okay? That's one. That's one. And so Paul again just emphasizing that, that, that thought. He says, back in verse 5, he says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another. That unity. We can be, as believers, we can be united without being... I'm trying to find the right word. Without being in uniformity. Is that a word? Uniformity? Meaning that we don't have to all like the same things. We don't have to all dress the same way. We don't have to all, uh, you know, like the same songs, like the same books, like the same, you know, whatever. But we could be united in Christ. And this is Paul's prayer. And this is Jesus' prayer. And this is Paul's exhortation. He says, that God may grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. That you may be with one mind and with one mouth. That you may be glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We'll stop right there.